0: So part four of our series is going to come from Mark chapter 2. One of my fun miracles that I like to talk about a lot. We learn from miracles how Jesus expects us to live and what Jesus intends for us. So this is going to be sort of a life lesson in how He expects us to live. And I've entitled uh, this particular miracle. Um, To me it has a lot to do with Um, If you want your life to count or a life that counts, a life that makes a difference, might be another way to look at it. There's a scene from Saving Private Ryan, a dramatic movie, I don't know how many of you have seen it, I know it's older now and uh, pretty controversial when it came out because it's so graphic, but there's a scene from Saving Private Ryan at the very end that is very, very important and I want you to watch it, it's terrible, by the way the video is horrible so my video people just don't panic. That's all I had. That's all I could do today to make that happen. Um, so the quality of the video, but you've seen the movie. I'm sure most of you have seen the movie. Quality of the video is poor, but it's the, it's the conversation that happens at the graveside um, with James Ryan. James Ryan, if you're not familiar with the movie, was a private in the uh, army that was uh, sent into, behind enemy lines in Normandy. And uh, while he was parachuted in back there, he had four brothers serving in the army as well, and all four of them were killed within a short time period of each other, and the government offices that round all that information up realized that Mrs. Uh, Ryan had lost four sons, sons—Sean or three sons, uh, Sean, Peter, and Daniel were all killed in different parts of the war, and she was going to receive, as a tragic scene, she receives... On the same day, she gets a, a visit from uh, the military folks that go out and just tell you, you know, your, your son has made the highest sacrifice for our country, but it was three of her sons. That in the same day, she got that information. She has one son left, and it's, it's James Ryan. And uh, all through the movie, there's a team of guys going to get him from behind the lines. And they, it cost them their lives. They literally sacrificed their lives one after another to go get Private Ryan off of the battlefield and home safe to his mom because the army doesn't want to lose another one of the Ryans. And so so it's a, it's a great movie. It's It's got a lot of amazing lines in it and a lot of great truth tied to it. But there's this scene at the end. It actually begins, the movie begins and ends in a cemetery, in Arlington Cemetery with James Ryan as an older man. And he is... He is standing uh, in front of the commanding officer of the group that came, the little squad that came to get him, and uh, he's going to have a conversation uh, with himself and then with his family. I just want you to see what his concerns are as his he realizes his life is coming to a close. Private Ryan lived his whole life trying to make sure he his life mattered to the guys that sacrificed. So Christ for us. Paid the ultimate sacrifice so that your sins no longer are counted against you. They were counted against Him. And He died on that cross to pay for our sins. And He would say to us to live a life that's worthy. Actually, the Scriptures command us to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the sacrifice of Christ. And, uh, and I think all the time when I watch that, that scene, um, at the end of our lives... Um, will Christ, will we be able to look in Christ's face and say, you know, I did all that I could for you for the sacrifice you made? Because, you know, Private Ryan, James Ryan, is at, at the graveside there, is telling his wife, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I did what I was, I lived like I was supposed to. I lived a good life. And Christ doesn't want us to live a good life. He wants us to live an obedient life unto Him. Amen? A sacrificial life. And so, why do we live day to day? Why do you live your life and go through all the goofy routines and the hard routines that we go to? I believe somewhere deep down, for those of us that know Christ, somewhere deep down inside of us, you and I want to make a difference. We want our lives to count. Um, We want someone else's life to have been impacted. And somebody else's life to be better because we lived our life. Now, if you're not there yet, you're still in your 30s and you haven't figured that out. But when you cross over that 50 and 55 thing, you start thinking, you know, as, as I look behind me, am I leaving any value? Is there any value to the, to the way I've lived my life? There's a great quote by Steve Jobs It's recorded in his book. And uh when he was first starting Apple, I think he had a, a startup, and then he had to re kind of restart it um, and he had this quote and I just want you to hear it because he's trying to convince a guy that works for PepsiCo, who he knows is a great CEO and a great businessman business leader. He's trying to convince John Scully to come over to this little tiny computer company when computers aren't really famous and popular or even important at this time. Nobody really knows what all can be accomplished by them. And so uh, Steve Jobs has this very famous quote. It's been quoted many times. He asked John Scully, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? And truly computers and Mr. Apple himself, Steve Jobs, has made a huge difference. Some of you carry these little tiny computers in your pocket today that you love very much. You're almost idolized the Apple in your pocket. But it's changed the world. You can access information very quickly. You can, you can contact people very quickly. We didn't used to do all that, by the way. Those of you young people who don't remember, we didn't have that kind of contact with each other. And uh, we actually had to visit, go over to somebody's house and check on them and talk to them. You know sometimes you could use the old dial phones and call them, but we actually had to pay personal visits to people. You couldn't just text them say, "Hey, how you doing?" <laughs> kind of thing so it's an amazing thing that that's happened, and yet he had to convince John Scully to change his direction in his life so his life could change the world. Well, I think Christ calls every one of us into that, and the story we 're going to look at today in uh, mark chapter. Two, that, that story is, is going to help you see how your life can change somebody else's life. I want you to think about the people around you, people in your community, people in your family, that you really believe God's leading you to do something to help them. But you just don't know. I mean, you just don't know and you've, maybe you've tried or thought about it and uh, there's not much you can figure out. You're kind of at a stopping point of that. Today I want you to think about those people. Let's read the text. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1 says these words. And when he had come back to Capernaum uh, several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer any room, not even at the door. So he's in this little house and it's completely jammed with people. Even the doors are filled up and the windows. He was preaching the word to them. Man, wouldn't it be awesome to... To be in Jesus' group there. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. When they couldn't get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, by the way, he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, religious leaders, questioning in their hearts in their hearts why does this man speak like that he's blaspheming who can forgive sins but god alone and immediately jesus perceiving the spirit that was uh, that they thus questioned within themselves said to them why do you question these things in your hearts which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say rise take up your bed and walk and so but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins I'm going to do both. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he did. He rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Isn't that cool? It's a great little story. I love, love this story. So let me give you four ideas, four elements that will help you have a life that impacts. Because these four guys changed that man's life for eternity, okay? The first thing they had to do, this first element that I want you to see, is they had to have a passion to be in the presence of Christ. They had to adopt a passion to be in the presence of Christ. Four men with the paralyzed friends had challenges to overcome and many, many obstacles. When they were carrying him down the street on the little pallet, you know, way far away from the house, they realized, man, there's a traffic jam down there. I'll never get. We'll never get down there. Let's go around the other block. Let's come up from the other side. You know, maybe the south side of the house has has better access. And then they get around there and they're like, no, that's not going to work. You know, well, what about the neighbor? Na- if we go to the neighbor's house and come through his back gate and come up to the back of the house, well, no, that's not going to work. There's just too many people all around this. Every side of this house has just a crowd of people crowding to listen in and hear Jesus teach through the windows and the the doors. And then, and you guys know how I think about this, but one good old boy, because he is the good old boy, goes, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> and he's like, why don't we just take the roof off? Let's go up on top of this mud hut that Jesus is in. And it's a, it would have been a, a, a bunch of limbs and sticks, tree limbs and sticks with mud thatch. And uh, let's go up there and take a section of the roof itself off so we can get in. Because can't, we can't get in this way Let's get that way. Well, by the way, that's a lot of work. That's not easy to get to. It's not going to be easy to do that either. Fighting their way through the crowd wasn't working with all the deal, but they figured, you know, if two or three of us can can work our way up those steps alongside of the house, usually they had steps alongside of a house, um, and get up there, once we get on top, nobody's up there. We got all the time, and we just dig a hole, lower them down. And that to me, that was a MacGyver, good old boy moment where he's just like... I got this idea. Now, when we get to heaven, I think we get to meet that guy because Jesus says they had a lot of faith. And I'm believing he's from South Jerusalem. You know, I think he drove a, a pickup truck or his camel had bigger wheels than everybody else's and he loved pulling people out of the mud. I mean, he's just one of those guys that has these ideas in his head and goes, Hey, got an idea. Let's go take the roof off. Now, all the guys went, Yeah, that sounds good. You know, now the paralyzed guy, I don't think he had a vote in that. You know, he's just along for the wherever... Why are we going on the roof kind of thing? We're on the roof now? You're tying ropes to my... Can you see him? You're tying ropes to my pal. What are we going to do? We're going to lower you down to Jesus. But they had this passion to be in Jesus' presence and they just weren't going to be denied. They weren't going to stop moving their way towards Jesus. What frustrates me as a pastor, as a minister, is when people fall in love with Jesus because of the work He did at the cross, but then they lose this passion to have His presence around them all the time. They, they, and, and it's because of the obstacles. There's a lot of obstacles in our lives. There, there's, there's apathy and indifference and all kinds of other things that cause us to, to struggle. But here's what I want you to know. There's two ways to keep your passion, keep passion in your life for Him. Number one, you have to prioritize the activities necessary to be in Christ's presence. You have to prioritize the activities necessary. Jesus taught us in His parable of the sower that the cares of this world distract us from Him and from His Word. So you have to prioritize. You have to say, you know what, I'm not going to let the cares of this world distract me even though I have a lot of busyness in my life and a lot of things I need to do, I'm still going to find a way to get into His presence, which is into His Word which is into a corporate word time, as in today, um, or a growth group. I'm going to be, I'm going to surround myself with people that are studying his word. And I'm not going to be distracted from that by the cares of this world, by the activities. I tell young families all the time. I've watched it happen for years. You know, when you sign your children up for everything they can possibly do, you know, we've got two violin lessons and a, you know, we've got a Uh, an aerobics thing here for this child and we're doing this with this child and then you know two of them are playing soccer and one of them's you know in football and you know as soon as that's over we're going to baseball when you start doing all that you're you're jamming your schedule so full of activities so full of activities that something has to go and almost always for young families it's church attendance and it's body life it's it's attending small group it's like well We'd love to be a part of that small group, but, you know, we got this, that, and the other. So, so I'm just reminding you to be very careful to protect and prioritize the need to be with God's people and learning and growing, uh, surrounding yourself with people who are seeking Jesus. And then yourself, this is real important, yourself in your personal quiet time. You've got to have a personal quiet time. And just don't get distracted from that. Fight hard to make that a regular routine in your life. You have to have a passion for His presence and prioritize all the ways you can get into His presence. And then secondly, you have to persistently overcome obstacles. These guys modeled that for us. They were just constantly overcoming the obstacles. Whatever the obstacle was, you know. and I think in our culture, by the way, the obstacles are a lot uh, different than what would have been in his cult, their culture. But I think we, we struggle with laziness and indifference, apathy. Uh, we struggle with... You know, in, in my experience, uh, there's just sort of a a heart to, to, to live like I want to live and not pay attention to those spiritual things. There, there's, a, there's a desire in me to just not do those things. They seem hard. You know, following Christ seems hard. It's tough. It's hard. And, and I want to say to you, it's well worth the hard work of staying connected to Christ and staying in His presence regularly, it's well worth the hard work. And at the end of your journey, like Private Ryan, James Ryan, at the end of your journey, you're not going to have wonders and regrets about, well, did I, did my life even matter? If you're in His presence regularly, you're constantly guided by Him and your life can and will matter. And I think for a lot of us, whether it's apathy or indifference or, or purity issues or whatever, we let ourselves get distracted and we get in a lot of trouble. We get in a lot of trouble. So I would say we have to be creative. We have to be creative and persistent. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, If we seek Him with all our hearts, we will find Him. Jesus says that Himself. If you have a passion to be in my presence, not if you just you know, want to check, I'm just going to check it out. I have people tell me that all the time. I'm just going to check God out. Well, he's not. He doesn't need to be checked out, by the way. You, know, you need to get serious about it. And if you're seriously searching for Him, He says you'll find Him and you can make a conscious decision about your priorities when you do that. You have to seek Him with all your heart and then you'll find Him. So we have to become creative and persistent overcoming obstacles. And I'm just asking you as a church family, let's not take no for an answer in that. Let's not say, well... You know, I've tried, but I just can't get to it. Whatever the obstacle is, if you can't solve your obstacle, if you can't overcome whatever it takes for you to regularly have devotions, to regularly be in church uh, family gatherings and meetings and small groups, if you can't figure that obstacle out, I'm asking you to come to some people in our church that have had to figure it out, and, and we'll just pool our wisdom. There's, there's wisdom in a multitude council. So let's just all sit together and help you figure out how to overcome that because you don't want to take no for an answer. and You don't want to pull yourself away from the opportunity to grow. So we have to be creative and persistent. And I want to give you one little side note to that. This story helps us know that sometimes, many times by the way, it takes more than one person to help one person in need. It takes more than one. So if you have a friend in, in a need, if you have a friend that's, broken or struggling or hurting you're trying to get him into the presence of christ yourself it takes more than one you've got to surround yourself i recommend you do this in your growth group surround yourself with people that will pray with you about that one you're seeking for and lift up that name and ask them to help you with that person and you know they may want to email or visit or invite them themselves it just takes more than one there's a group effort that changes the life of this man it was a group effort and I want to tell all our small groups you know our, our small group that starts up again this week we're going to talk about the laundry love moment that's a great opportunity by the way if you saw the video I showed way back when we did that laundry love is a great opportunity for us to to go into laundromats just sit there and say hey we're your laundry's on us today we got the coins and uh, we'll just get to know you because we're paying for your laundry you'll we'll talk and we'll share what we're doing and the love that we have for Christ and those kind of things. And there may be several people in those those small group events that we meet that it's going to take several of us to encourage and help and pray through and uh, get them closer to Christ. So, do you want your life to count? Well, then you have to prioritize and rearrange your own life and get yourself in the presence of Christ, and then be willing to overcome all those obstacles, all those obstacles. If we want to make a difference in others' lives, secondly, not only do we have to adopt a passion for His presence, we have to appreciate the pardon for our own sins. Um, this is where they lower Him down. They dig a hole in the roof. By the way, it would have pretty much stopped His teaching for a, a little bit. It wasn't, a, it wasn't easy to make a, sh- a quick hole in those kind of roofs. And so when the stuff started falling on people, when... when you know, dirt and mud and leaves and sticks and bugs and whatever else was hung up in all that mud and, and that roof starts falling on the people. You know, and now everybody's having to back away going, what in the world's going on? You know, and now we're just watching the show. You know, of course, Jesus is aware of what's happening and He's just waiting. Well, they lower this man down, you know, make a big enough hole to lower him down in front of Jesus and Jesus forgives him of his sins. Jesus does a cleansing work in his soul and he says because of the faith of the men up on the roof. Because of their faith, Jesus talks to this paralytic man, paralyzed man, and he says, your sins are forgiven. You get th- think about that moment for a second. You're on the roof with a paralyzed guy. He's completely paralyzed. And you're trying to get him in front of Jesus because Jesus heals people. And you lowered him down, and you're listening real hard. What's he saying? What's he saying? What did he say? He said, "Well, he said, he forgave his sins." And you to go. Okay, is that all? I mean, was was that why we came? It, it, they had to process. They had to really stop and go. Wait a minute. Wait. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But here's here's the important thing for all of us. Jesus did what only he could do for that man. Nobody else is ever going to be able to help that man's sins. Nobody. Nobody can help his sins. Now, his paralysis may be such that nobody on earth can help his paralysis either. But it may be something that could have been worked through with therapy or healed eventually, you know, with the right help or whatever. But it was not what it was expected when he was lowered down. And I want to say to you, a lot of times when you get people in the presence of Christ, they don't always get exactly what they're expecting. They get something better. But you got to help them understand that it's better. You literally have to teach them to appreciate what it is that's actually happening when you're in the presence of Christ. He forgives sins. He forgives sins. There's a spiritual healing that's, that's His ability. And His forgiveness is the most valuable, important, and urgent need everybody you know has. Forgiveness of sins is the highest need on planet Earth right now. It's the highest need, forgiveness of sins. Because anybody that's not forgiven of their sins, when they die, they're going straight to hell. So the highest need on planet Earth is spiritual healing. Spiritual healing and forgiveness of sins. And that's what Jesus can do, by the way. Just by speaking it, He can make it happen. And so His spiritual healing is very important. Forgiveness is the most urgent thing that He can do. And you have to ask yourself, would you rather have... When you put it in this perspective, it registers a little easier for us. Would you rather have... A healthy body and an unclean soul or a broken body and a healthy soul? Now, if you've grown up in Christ and you know the Word of God, you're going, well, that's a hard question, but my soul transcends earth. My body doesn't. It's temporary. So I'll take the broken body and the healthy soul. That's what Jesus knows when they lower Him down. He's got a broken body, but He also has a broken soul. And Jesus goes, let me take care of the most important thing first. The most important thing first. And he does. He heals him. A couple of great quotes. Uh, R.C.H. Linsky writes, in the entire Bible, regarding forgiveness, he says, in the entire Bible, there's no sweeter word that meets the sinner's eye. The sinners are sent away from the sinner. The sins, I'm sorry, are sent away from the sinner so completely that they shall never be found again to the depths of the sea, Micah 7 says, they're blotted out so as to be removed from record, Isaiah 43. And they're removed from the center as far as the east is from the west, from Psalms. There's no sweeter word than forgiveness to us. We forget that. We forget how sweet forgiveness is. I was sharing with the Home of Grace yesterday, uh, or Friday. Um, I was teaching at the Home of Grace Chapel, and I was reminding them that People of grace live in forgiveness and they recognize forgiveness to be one of the coolest things that can happen. I've been forgiven and so now I can forgive. That's grace. And people who understand grace recognize forgiveness can not only flow, it not only has come to me so I can forgive all those who've offended me, but I can, I can also experience a deep, deep level of, of freedom and my own forgiveness. And, and I was able to share that. It was a great opportunity to, to share that with them. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need, costs the greatest price, it brings the greatest blessing, and it has the most lasting result. If you're going to tweet or share anything on Facebook this week, you already get that in there somewhere. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performs. It's the greatest miracle He ever performs. It meets the greatest need, costs the greatest price, brings the greatest blessing and it has the most lasting results. So Christ forgave the paralytic and He can forgive you. you got to understand, whatever your brokenness is in all the other realms of your life, spiritually, mentally, physically, whatever, the spiritual brokenness is the one that Christ is the most concerned about. And when He heals that, it sets you up for eternity with Him with no brokenness at all. People who are saved from their sins and forgiven... In heaven have zero brokenness. Zero brokenness in heaven. And Jesus knew that. So Jesus, Jesus helps them do that. Now, I would highly recommend at this point that you learn to thank Him. Really thank Him for your forgiveness. I'd put that on your to-do list today, by the way. If you put little notes in your phone like a bunch of us do now to remind you of things. You should regularly thank Jesus for your forgiveness. Why? Why? You remember Jesus telling a story about ten lepers? Remember that? The ten lepers that he healed? Remember how many came back to him? How many? Yeah, one. Why would that stand out to Jesus? Because it was the one thing he was hoping for. It's that little thank you moment where they just recognized and they appreciated the healing, the, the gift that Christ had given them. Have you spent time in the last week, have you spent time thanking him for your forgiveness of your sins, all your sins are washed away, all your sins buried in the deepest sea, as far as the east is from the west. So we have to learn to do that. I I remember um, when I was in college, Bible college, and I came home one weekend here, and I was driving the the Cobra Mustang, and uh, and when I left here, um, it was in, it had to be in the my second year of college, because by then I'd souped the car up and it was really loud and rumbly and all that good stuff. But when I left here, um, when I left my house up here in Sims, I went down Highway 45 to get on the interstate um, to hop on 65. And as I as I came on to 45, there was an old American Legion or something now, but it used to be an old beer joint. And when I got to the traffic light there, there was a another... Car sitting next to me revving his motor up. I had my windows down. it was kind of cool fall day. I'm going back to Bible college. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going back to Bible college, to learn about Jesus. And that guy's just revving, revving, revving up his motor. Okay. And so when he takes off, me and my little Mustang, my little V6 souped up, you know, I drop it in the first year and I mean, I go hard, push way out in front of him. And I missed the second gear shift. Thank Jesus, by the way. I missed the second gear shift. So when I did, pop the clutch and I missed the gears, and my car goes boot and his car goes boom, right on by. And then the next thing I hear is a state trooper sound. There's a siren they used to have called a bubblegum machine sitting on top of their state trooper cars back in the big days when the cars were real big. And I hear this whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm like, well, what the? And I'm looking in my mirror. And he's behind me, not the guy that went like seventy. He's behind me, and he's making all kinds of motions, and you go over there, and, you know. So I ease over into the beer joint parking lot, and he comes. He comes right up to me, and he says, "He says, give me your license." And I hand it out the window to him, and he takes it and he puts it in. His, he unsnaps his button, puts it in his shirt, and snaps it. Now, I gotta tell you, my. You know, my gut's just dropped right there. I'm like, I'm going to jail. I mean, why would you take my license and put it in your pocket? Jumps in his car and just flies down the road. And he told me, wait right here. You know, he just flies down 45. And he catches the other guy, you know, and brings him back, by the way, to this parking lot with me. You know? And, uh, you know, there the other guy comes out and you know, he's all proud because he won. I'm like, I bet you ain't proud now, buddy. So... But there's this conversation that he's going to have with both of us about drag racing on Highway 45 on a Sunday afternoon. And, and he gives the guy this massive ticket, because he was just screaming. He gives him a bad ticket, and then he sends him on his way. And then he comes over and starts talking to me. And he says, son, where are you going? I see you got your luggage in your car. Where are you going? Probably not going to believe this, but I'm headed back to Bible college. Really? What are you doing there? Well, I'm learning to be a preacher. Really? I mean, it's one of those... He's got the big hat and the big deep voice. Really? You know? Are you an idiot? I mean, it's just one of those conversations. But here's what he does. You know? After a few minutes, he unsnaps his thing and he takes the license and he puts it... He hands it back to me and he goes, get in your car, drive the speed limit to Birmingham and don't ever let me catch you doing that again. That was forgiveness. I was like, oh... (laughs) There's not a ticket involved. I don't have to come back to court, you know, for nobody's impounding my car. I got my license back. And it's all because this guy just had a moment of forgiveness in his heart for me. This guy that had the authority did not have that moment, right? So we've got to learn to appreciate the forgiveness that Christ has because it's way bigger than just not getting a ticket on Highway 45 for doing something stupid, right? It's way bigger than that. So I, and, and by the way, I want to thank Jesus for letting me miss second gear because I probably would have been with the other guy getting all that other stuff written up. So have a passion have a passion to be in his presence and then fall in love with that. But you also have to thirdly in this story we've got these religious scribes hanging out in the room and they're they're secretly mentally I love this. They're mentally judging Jesus. Bad idea by the way. He reads our thoughts. Oh, he knows everything we're thinking so there's just no fooling him. So here are these guys judging him. You know, in verse 6, some of the scribes are there um, at reasoning within their hearts. Um, why does this man speak this way? It's, here's the modern day translation. Who does he think he is? You can't forgive sins unless you're God. Who does he think he is? And then Jesus knows they're thinking these thoughts about him. <laughs> Don't you hate it when your wife does this to you? When you're having a thought about something and you're and your wife guys that are married, don't you just hate it when they they realize what you're thinking way ahead of you and they actually correct you before you ever get a chance to do anything, to say anything or act anyway? Well, here's Jesus doing exactly that. He the spiritual leaders are blinded to the truth of what's happening. Listen, they're sitting in a house listening to the teaching of Jesus. What could be cooler than that? Well, here's what could be cooler. They could lower a guy down from the roof who Jesus would heal of his sins. That would be really cool. Not if you're a Pharisee. Not if you're a religious leader that's full of pride. Not if you think you know better than Jesus. It's not cool anymore. The teaching was interesting, but now he's gone way across the line and done something that he shouldn't have done. And there's this judgment moment that they have because... He is the chosen one of Israel. He's the Lord of all lords. And they see Him as a liar. They see Him not as the chosen one, but a common man. He's the Son of God. And they see Him as a sinful man blaspheming. He's right there in their presence. And they're judging Him wrong. Be very careful how you let Jesus, or how you receive Jesus when He does these great works of forgiveness. I've been I've been in a couple of situations where somebody that done something horrible in our church family, not this church family, but other churches, although some of y'all have done some horrible things, I'm just saying. <laughs> but but where something horrible has taken place, and we just had to deal with it, and the person that, that went through that asked for forgiveness from us and repented. And I remember thinking, yes! And then watching a bunch of people go, no, we're not forgiving. You can never do that again. You know, that was terrible. And there's all this anger and stuff happening. And it's a moment where you go, man, they're judging so, so much without grace that it's going to damage a whole bunch of people around them. Here are the Pharisees in the very presence of Christ. He's the Holy One and they see Him as a hypocrite. And they're blinded. I want to tell you a couple things that blind them. One, they're arrogant and prideful. Pride is very blinding. Very blinding. And it takes the truth right out of our minds. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Hmm. And then hypocrisy. When, when you live in hypocrisy, it's very self-deceiving. Titus 1, 16 says, They profess to know God, It's these scribes listening to Jesus teach, but by their deeds, they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So we've got to learn to, to not we've got to avoid this religious pride. And we've got the only way to once we get into the presence of Christ, the only way to experience real life change is to avoid this religious pride. And then we just have to obey the last point I want you to hear is we have to abide by His precepts. I kept it all alliterated, uh, which drives some of you nuts. But the fourth one is to abide by His precepts. In other words, it's if you wanted to put one word there, we have to obey. Jesus looks at the man on the pallet. First of all, He just kind of tells the Pharisees, look, I can say I've forgiven sins and you'll never know because you can't know whether sins are forgiven because you all can't see sin like I can. You can't see impure hearts like I can He's not saying all that, but I'm thinking he should have. But he's saying, "How would you ever know if I did that?" Well, I guess I'll have to show you the other thing that I can do, which you can see, which is the healing of his physical body. So I'm just going to tell him, "Rise, take up your bed and walk." Now, what if the guy had just laid there? Went, uh-uh. I don't know if you know this or not, but I've been here about 50 years, and you know, I ain't ever got up and walked. What if he just laid there? Nothing would happen. He had to actually physically choose to obey Jesus. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. He performs this healing and demonstrates that He can do both, that He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. And so the Pharisees have already told Him, only God can forgive sins. So verse 10, Jesus claims the power to forgive and heal. Verse 11, He spoke the forgiveness and the healing into reality. And then he demonstrates. He has the power and the authority. So Jesus almost always works from the inside out. I think a lot of the people that are going through the trauma of the flooding um, to our west, I, th- I think he's going to work from the inside out with them. They had to. Let, some of them just needed to let go of their material things. I saw this picture on uh, on my. Twitter feed the other day, Um, one of the weathermen that I've always followed, James Spann, out of Birmingham, is a great Christian man, Um, there was a a young black guy on a seadoo, did y'all see this young black guy on a seadoo with his vest on, and he's got an older um, white lady on the back of the seadoo with her vest on, and they're waving to the people on the balcony in her house, inside her house. She so lives in this big two story house, and they're in the house on the sea dew. He's idling on the sea dew, and they're getting ready to ride out the glass doors that go out into her backyard. And and she's waving at the people up on the banister having her picture made because they've gone in there to rescue her. And I'm like, you know, she's having, And there's in the distant part of the picture, I de- detail sometimes, in the distant part of the picture, there's a grandfather clock that's, you can just see the, the image of the clock itself. The, the whole thing is underwater. And I'm thinking, how much stuff in that house is just gone? It's gone. It's never coming back. It's washed. It's ruined. How much stuff? But her, her life is saved because some guys went and rescued her, right? So you gotta, you got to think in your head. Sometimes God puts these hard things in our lives to, to teach us to let go of things. And He's trying to help us understand we need to obey and follow Him and find the important stuff in life. Forgiveness. Healing and spiritual cleansing. And we need to have a passion to be in his presence. When you get close to Christ, that's when your life changes. By the way, it doesn't change when you're distant, when you just watch him at a distance. It doesn't change much. But when you get close, things start happening. When you bring a friend close to Christ, that's when things start happening for them and their lives can change say, well, I've tried and tried and tried. You thought of that person maybe at the beginning of the service. You thought of that person you were thinking about. But you don't have, you don't have a way to, to get them there. Well, maybe you need some friends. Maybe you need to find three friends. Say, hey, if I'll carry this corner of the pallet, you carry the other corner, we're going to get him or her to Christ. We've got to get them there. We have to help each other you have lost friends you have friends that are wounded some some of them are saved and they're still far from Christ cuz they're they're hurting and they just need somebody to woo them back call them back two or three at a time to encourage them i'm asking you as a church let's get real serious about that let's see lives change let's make our lives our week lives this week count for eternal things not just earthly things it's important that you keep your job and you you earn your paycheck and you pay your bills. That's all important. But eternity's coming. And our lives need to matter for that. Amen?